Welcome back, pitch people, pitcher uppers, pitch party professionals. This is Presentation Thinking, aka Presentation Thinking, where we think about presentations. <laughs> think about presentations. Yeah, Molly Gagan, you are the community and content manager at PresentationThinking.com. What's going on? Hey, Mikey. Not too much. We are here to have a book club podcast today, which is the second installment of the Presentation Thinking Book Club. And we're excited to dive into Made to Stick by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Chip and Dan, a couple of brothers. Brothers Heath, they're both pretty smart cats, it sounds like. Accomplished. Their parents have to be very proud of them. Chip is a professor, I think, in the business school at Stanford, which I've heard of. I think he has a PhD from that school as well. And the brother Dan is a more of a practitioner, right? He like had a startup somewhere in the startup, like the publishing company space called Thinkwell. And I think they were doing something like creating textbooks. And as part of that, he went and studied teachers and uh, learned a lot from some of the best teachers around uh, to figure out how they approach creating lesson plans and how do they get their ideas to actually land with their students and how do they educate students well. And he studied like some of the best around, like a biology teacher who was teacher of the year, an econ teacher who was also a playwright and a chaplain, and a calc teacher who was also a stand-up comedian. And, uh, you know, he called it like a crash course in learning what makes great teachers great and found a lot of commonalities in their instructional methodologies. Whereas Chip was like a researcher, you know, in the academic world and had this I guess like fascination with why certain things became viral, like why do some ideas, dis- even like false ideas, like some of those urban legends, like even though they're not necessarily accurate or correct, why do we all know them and why do they travel so far on their own? So he did some research um, academically with that and you know studied things like the proverb, like where there's smoke, there's fire. Why is that in over 55 different languages? Right. And then when was Gladwell's tipping point? Like 2001? 2000. Yeah. Okay. So that came along as they're doing their research and Chip realized what Malcolm Gladwell called as one of the second ingredients of making a tipping point or like a massive social phenomenon happen was the middle part, which is stickiness, the sticky factor. And so Chip realized that that word stickiness was sort of this attribute that he was chasing to figure out why do some messages just go on their own and and why do they hold on and and actually change behavior in, in many ways. So that was sort of the context, I think, the background of how they wrote this book. And uh, we finally, Molly, have you read this before or come across it? No, I hadn't heard of it till you brought it up. And I, as you said, the other reason it found its way to the place in our, you know, presentation thinking reading list was because they deep dived into that one idea that Malcolm came up with in the tipping point. So yeah, I was excited to piggyback off of the Gladwell phenomenon that we had. Yeah, that's right. And they kind of broke this up. So yeah, we are going to talk about this in two different episodes um, because they even talk about in the, in the book itself that they've broken the book up into two parts, if you think about it. So we're going to talk through the first, the intro and chapter one, which are about ultimately finding the core of your story. And then the back half is about sort of running it against this creative checklist that they've created, which we'll talk about the six you know, parts of a, what makes a sticky idea. So Molly, where do you, where do you want to kind of dive in? Well, Mikey, I think the people, the good presentation people would like to know 
why this matters to them. Why is this, why is this important? This is something that is useful, you know, I think in everyday life and in work for sure. Yeah. It's, it's relevant to so many of us, right? How do you say something that someone won't forget? Especially when it's important. A lot of our conversations day to day, doesn't matter if, if someone forgets it, but at an organization or if you're a teacher and you just, you, you know, you're presented with the state curriculum and you need your students to, to do well on these tests or whatever, you know, they use an example of, of an elementary school teacher. She knows the goal. This is the stuff that's material mandated by the state for her audience to learn or her students. She knows her audience, third graders with a range of knowledge and skills, and she knows how to speak, you know, effectively. Like this teacher knows good posture, eye contact, stuff like that. So the goal is clear. The audience is clear. The format is clear. But the design of the message itself is not necessarily clear because there's a thousand ways to, you know, approach it. And so what Made to Stick attempts to do is help us find some patterns and even, I guess, a framework for making sure what we are telling others is something that is memorable, but also impactful. Yeah. And the example of teaching is a great one because you want your messages to be remembered in a way like of someone walking out of the classroom. If you're giving a speech or a keynote or some kind of presentation, you want people to remember key messages that you have. So packaging up those in a way that makes it clear and concise is really important. And they do say, Chip and Dan, from the get-go, that this is hard to do, but it's worth the effort to put it in. And they discuss, you know, it's simple. Proverbs are so simple. Like, why aren't there a bunch of them? But we aren't deluged with brilliantly designed sticky ideas because we, you know, we know too much. They What do they call it? The curse of knowledge. And that's that's something when we know too much that we want to tell everything. We want to tell all the details when what really matters is just the core message. And that's hard to pare down. Yeah. They, they talk about in the, this like curse of knowledge thing, which another, this really smart designer I know, Chris Erickson talks about why it's good to work with like a branding agency or, or an outside creative shop on your in, internal stuff. He talks about like, imagine that you are inside of a bottle and you are the only person who can't read what's on the label, right? And and so it is like, yeah, we forget how much we know. And then when we're trying to talk to someone to get them up to speed or to tell, talk about this great new feature that our our new our tech suite has, gosh, if they can't arrive to it the same way that you did, then you're jumping, skipping a lot of steps. And the brothers Heath talk about this experiment called Tappers and Listeners, where some yeah experimenters took tap dancers and gave them like these 120 songs that they needed to dance out the rhythm to. And then there were listeners who, you know, without any lyrics or anything, like they just had to listen to these tap dancers tapping out the rhythm and then guess what the song was. And the tap dancers were like, oh, we got this. We bet 50%, you know, we'll guess the song, any given song. And do you know what the result was of those 120 songs tapped out, Molly? <laughs> it was very low, wasn't it? Yeah, like three. Three <laughs> yeah. of them guessed, yeah, three were guessed correctly out of 120 songs tapped These were out. songs like Happy Birthday, too. This yeah. wasn't like an intense, uh, you know, quiz or something. It was Happy Birthday, Cotton Eye yeah. Joe, Universal stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, completely, yeah. And so, yeah, you just, when you know so much, it's just hard to put yourself out of, you forget what it's like not to know that stuff. And it's, that is why we, generally do poorly when it comes to trying to create a sticky message. And they they have this framework of six, what do you call them? Like 
It's a checklist. Criteria. They call it their yeah, yeah. success checklist. So if step one, they say, is to find the core, find the core of your message, which we'll spend most of our time talking about today, the core and the simplicity. Step two is to translate that core message using their success checklist. And that is an acronym, of course. All marketing people love a good acronym. And it's simplicity, unexpectedness, concreteness, credibility, emotions, and stories. And stories, I can't wait to get to too in part two. But today, we're going to talk about simplicity. Yeah, that's right. And there's so many good examples in this book. One of them, okay, just imagine 1961, JFK says... Our mission is to become the international leader in the space industry through maximum team-centered innovation and strategically targeted aerospace initiatives, you know, or <laughs> I we're going to put a man to you on the moon, of. you know what yeah. I mean? Um, that, that stuck, right? And there's so many examples in our lifetime of the ones that, that, that linger and that actually inspire us, right? Right. This is something, this is the uh, idea called commander's intent. And this is something that developed out of World War One with um, telegrams and like voice memos that were having to be delivered, you know, to, to faraway allies and your parts of your army. Right. And you had a limited amount of time, first of all, and you also had the knowledge that your messages at any point could be intercepted by the enemy. So the commander's intent was to put the core or most important idea first, you know, like get to this part of the country, it, you know, the enemy's coming in from the north, whatever it is, you know, don't waste space and time. You put your first thing, your most important piece first, and then start talking about other stuff that might support that. And that also won't give away the most important piece of uh, information, you know. So they talk about this commander's intent and in creating your message to have everything link back to your commander's intent. And how does the behavior of your talk or your company reflect back to that? Yeah. And and then so much, I guess we've heard this a lot too. It's like in the military, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And they, they liken that to saying, okay, if you were to, Molly, if you were going to go to the park and play chess and what is the best, you know, I can't give you <laughs> more than happening. the first couple moves because there's, there are a endless, you know, combination of moves and ways that that could happen. Just like in war or in a boxing match, whatever, no plan survives contact with the enemy or no lesson plan survives contact with teenagers. <laughs> so instead of trying to give this really prescriptive, detailed instruction set, commander's intent brings it more thematic and it's this top-down mission like break the will of the enemy in the Southwest region. Mm-hmm. And when that trickles downstream and you are more granular trying to figure out, okay, what's the battle? What's the move today? What's the single most important thing we, we got to do today that is going to help us break the will of the enemy in the Southwest East region? That's the, the commander's intent because it, it is much easier to remember and it's much more, I guess, flexible, right? Like you're still all rowing and you're all still going the same direction. But you know that you're going to have to use your own creative ability to get there based on the changing circumstances. And it's easier to pass on. Like people can say, we're going to put a man on the moon, but they're not going to say that big, long winded thing that, you know, that that he had said before before that. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the message is clear. Your message, I will say, Mikey, was much clearer than my the enemy's coming from the north. I don't you know. I don't know <laughs> any kind of good war examples. <laughs> but yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> you ahead. made a good example of like, this is also the journalism rule of thumb where Ooh. you got to get the biggest headline out first and then everything else is just supporting because people skim newspapers and articles anyway. So you might as well put the most important stuff first, then the second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, all the details yeah. come after the fact because people are skimming. This also reminds me even in like kind of modern day journalism, clickbait. That's like, you'll never believe totally. what this yeah. woman endured, you know, and you're like, okay, I gotta know that it kind of leads you on. It doesn't give you the full message, but it kind of like opens up the door for the commander's intent. Yeah. So yeah. Burying the lead. Molly, did you ever work in like journalism or take newspaper class or something? something a little like bit. Yeah. I wrote, you know, I wrote something about like breakfast places and yeah. around my campus, you know, so that was fun. <laughs> Stuff like that. Journalism. Some hard hitting yeah. journalism about <laughs> waffles. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, I did. I put the most, you know, I was like, here's the best thing. There was this new cool waffle sandwich place that opened up in Lincoln Park in Chicago that nice. did like the cool thing, the, you know, groundbreaking, put fried chicken between two waffles. It's a sandwich, you know, not very groundbreaking. People have been doing that for years, but that was, you know, that's the thing you do. You like put the most exciting piece first. Yeah. And it, it, it did. That's the one that derived from, yeah, like civil war time. Cause when... It, any given minute the the telegram system could go down, you know, like a whatever they were throwing around those days. Someone bayonets your telephone line. I don't know. But um, yeah. So like if you have a bunch of things to say, if you, you got to get the most important thing out there first and journalists obsess over this, over the lead. And I, I did the brothers Heath spell it wrong. They spelled it L E A D, which it's like how I always thought you would spell it. And then I swear someone in the industry told me, no, it's L-E-D-E for some reason. Um, I've seen know. both. I, I've okay, seen okay. both. But I wonder if they're trying to do a play on words because burying the lead L-E-A-D is leading you along. And then burying the lead I L-E-D-E. I don't know. They, mm. They're PhDs. I get it. But I some swear. Linguistics I question think there's there. some journalism people who, out there who might... Uh, Disagree. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, one, one famous journalist says, if, if I've got two hours to write a story, the best investment I can make is to spend the first hour 45 getting a good lead because from there, everything else is easy. Comes and fast. then that inverted pyramid, start with the most important stuff. The details come in late, later and later and later. And then in the newspaper world, because they're, you know, printing new, all these lay, layouts, trying to figure out what stories to run, that's, it makes it easier for them to cut off the last sentence or a couple paragraphs, knowing the juicy stuff is up top. Yeah. I love this quote that on uh, page 30, they say it's about elegance and prioritization, not dumbing down. And yeah. there's that headline. They have this great example of they're talking about wearing sunscreen and they want to kind of give like a public health thing. There was some research project done. So instead of, you know, leading with a bunch of scientific uh, numbers and stats of like how you know, sun exposure can really like affect your health um, and your skin. The headline was, you know, sun exposure, how to get old prematurely. So that reminded me, yeah, of the clickbait headlines that gets you involved and it's obvious what they're going to be talking about and you're kind of looped into what the core message is going to be. Yeah, that's right. Like in dumbing it down, you know, the Heath brothers talk a lot about two things to make a simple message. And that is, it has to be core and it has to be compact. And I think by core, help me out here, like more or less to your point, Molly, it's, it's got to have substance to it. It can't just be a soundbite, but it's got to be, you know, after, after an effort of ruthless distillation and prioritization, what is that one lead, right? What is that one 
essence that has to, that is very much in line with what's that commander's intent. Yeah, exactly. I think the core always has to lead back to the commander's intent and get into your core message. Anyone could say a short phrase, you know, like Nike's just do it, but it leads back to their core message of, you know, we get things done. This is the apex of athleticism. It brings you all those ideas that you already associate with that brand or that person or that story. So core message and the compact, the core and the compact, as you said, by themselves are easy to do. And then putting them together, I think is the hard part of the recipe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you can't have five North stars, right? And and that's where um, I love the, the story about Southwest um, and their commander's intent. And I think this Southwest one might Airlines. have sent, yeah, Southwest Airlines. And I think they've repositioned since then, but back when they were getting started, they wanted to be known as the low fare airline. And that was the commander's intent that when you, when you have something that's so clear that everyone can march toward, what they say is then it helps everyone at the company make decisions. And again, because it's, it's got that core baked in, it's got something very meaningful to where you're going. So an example they use, you know, Tracy from marketing once did some research, people traveling from LA to Dallas would be in favor of a, a chicken Caesar salad. And you know, like, I think it's Herb Kelleher, the, the CEO at the time was, okay, Tracy, um, will a chicken Caesar salad help us become the low fare airline? <laughs> you know, it's like very binary, <laughs> right? No. And so yeah, that's how obvious. they make their decisions. Cut that and cost. That's not going to work. It, it's amazing how one little quippy sentence like that can help make an entire organization mm-hmm. make smart decisions to go in that direction. Right, right. And if that's in, you know, on the other side of that, like if it's an airline that's trying to be the luxury airline offers something, then yeah, food is going to be included. Yeah. But you're also going to have your costs rise with that. So it's just a matter of like picking the message. And in a way, this almost reminds me of finding a niche as well, you know? Yeah. I was reminded, Mikey, of just thinking real life examples of this. And I was reminded of chain <laughs> chain restaurants, which have a soft spot in my heart because they're not supposed to be like the best food, but they're a great place for families and they're affordable and they're consistent. As you said, you know what you're going to get when you go to the Olive Garden or <laughs> Chili's or anything like that. And um, there's some charm in that, I think. I totally get it. And uh, yeah, I I get made fun of, you know, like... But I, I I get it, Molly. What's your favorite one? <laughs> I'm obsessed with the Olive Garden. Yeah. Everyone that knows me knows this. I've been I've had multiple birthdays there in my adult life. <laughs> but I think it's just after living out of the country, I kind of missed it for a while, you know. So I don't know if it's just the novelty, but I don't know. It's gonna come out it's to good Indiana. All we are. Yeah. My girls want. <laughs> they will spend hours at Olive I Garden. I can't wait. I would love to take Winnie and Sloan out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but of course, like, yeah, when you're traveling somewhere new, I think it's annoying to go to someplace like that because you don't want, that's not what you want. The consistency, you're all already oh, traveling was, somewhere new. Yeah. And so your idea wrapped around those things are different, you know? So, yeah. but that's, but that's so perfect because those messaging of like different restaurants versus that. And if I get trapped into a tourist trap at a restaurant, I'm upset. I'm like bummed, you know? So it's like those messages all align with each, mm-hmm. each of the places you end up being. Yeah. It's funny how like hardcore you have to be for your, your core message to live on. And I don't think it could ever happen from a committee. And, and it's funny, like tying back to presentations, we've worked with many great leaders on very important presentations. And we've seen what can happen when it's tried when there's too many voices and it gets watered down. And yeah, with these, like making a sticky message, it seems like someone really has to be the 
chief prioritizer or whatever you want to call it, but someone's got to be making the shot, taking that or making those decisions, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, what did you think about the examples? They talk about the Clinton campaign and relating this to like political campaigns in general, because as the saying goes, the proverb, you know, if you say three things, you say nothing, it's mm-hmm. better to say one thing. And you'll see it everywhere. Like in any political campaign, people will usually choose the most successful campaigns will choose one, maybe two issues to really harp on like tons of repetition. It's their one like clear issue and they make sure that it's heard. It's in their graphics. It's everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. like they talk about the Clinton campaign. I know Trump did that particularly well, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, drain the swamp. That's stuck, right? Mm-hmm. That was this commander's intent. And and it was short and quippy and like kind of dumb, but like it worked yeah, for people clearly. Yeah, right. yeah. And, but so did Obama in the Hope campaign, right? Yeah. So um, um, what was it's the just Clinton, interesting. Like Clinton himself, I think he was seeing like his, who's he running against? Perot was talking a lot about something else. And then James Carville was like, look, you got to talk about, he, what do you say? It's the economy, stupid. Like, yes, that's what it was. about the economy. Mm-hmm. Because that was on the top of people's minds for sure. Yeah. I forget what year that was. So I'd have to check, but that was, that was the top of mind issue. So it was like, what's on people's minds, make, connect that with your commander's intent, your core message yeah. and make it short. Yeah. It's the economy. (laughs) Um, The other example I loved was this one uh, of this newspaper in some tiny town, I think Dunn, North Carolina. It's called the Daily Record. And their penetration or their like subscription rate is the highest of any newspaper in the country, at least as of like, you know, 2007 when Made to Stick was written. 112% of of the town subscribes. So, you know, some households might have like a couple copies going. And the reason this was such a cool case study is the founder of that, I guess the commander, if you will, of the, of the newspaper was a zealot about community coverage. And he said, he knew he had this insight that the only people, the only reason people read a local newspaper is for names and pictures. That was what they did more than anyone else. And when someone asked him, you know, why is the daily record so successful? He said three reasons, names, names, and names. And that became their commander's intent, their core message, really, they're all about local focus to a kind of crazy degree. Like to them, the mayor of of their small little town was more important than the mayor of New York City, you know, or he said, like, we're, we're not going to cover the same thing that all the local other local papers run a ton of, you know, wire stuff. They'll cover other like pro sports teams and stuff like that. He said, if an atomic bomb fell on, on Raleigh, the only news we would cover is the debris that fell on our little town. It was just intense. Right. But that's what made it incredibly uh, successful. Yeah. I love, I think that's a perfect example of paring things down too. I really relate to, I think one of my biggest challenges as a writer and as a talkative person is just narrowing <laughs> down my message in general. I'll give you all the context if I tell you a story and like tell you what I was wearing, what the weather was like, et cetera. But it comes out in my writing and I think you've seen it, you know, you've worked with me for a long time, but I think one of the biggest things is just always paring down, taking stuff away until it's just simple and, you know, not trying to be overly clever or overly complicated. They do include this awesome quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who wrote The Little Prince, a French guy, and he yeah. says, a designer knows he has achieved perfection, not when there is nothing left to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. And I think that's a great little presentation thinking 
put it on the mood board. Oh my gosh. Yes. North star ha- keep in mind at all times. Kill your darlings. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why they, they go back to Proverbs again and again in the chapter as sort of like the gold standard for a, what is a sticky message. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It survived more than 2,500 years. It's spread on its own. You know, it's basically in every language that there is. And they talk about like just how, you know, what is it like less than 10 words? It's compact. And, but they, what they say about Cervante, I don't know who that is, said of, of Proverbs, Proverbs are short sentences drawn from long experience. Yeah, I love uh, that. Yeah, isn't that cool? And short sentences, you know, compact, drawn from long experience, that's core. So they offer rules of thumb for behavior for individuals. And that's what our messages should do. The ones that we really want to drive and underscore and, and stick with people. And in presentations, right, we, man, it, it's so, you want to say so much, right? But if you want the one core thing to stick, just you have to whittle it down to that that core idea. And that core idea has to be the drumbeat for your entire presentation from start to finish. Keep going back to that North Star, the one North Star. You had to ditch the other stuff, even though it's super important. You got to get back to that. Yeah, I like calling it North Star over Commander's Intent because I think there's a good illustration in that that could happen for presentation thinking for sure. Yeah. Let's keep that going. Yeah. So Molly, like not every, I think it's way easier to say, hey, make it simple because there are very complex ideas out there. And those are probably the ones that we're most readers of Made to Stick are probably like, how in the heck do I simplify this? And so they talk briefly about something called schemas as a way to almost like, slingshot around and use people's brains, like what they already know, to help them associate your thing with something that they already know. So they define schemas as a collection of generic properties of a concept or category. So like when I say sports cars, you know, you kind of already have this definition and uh, what those look like, generally speaking, right? Um, They give an example of how do you define a pomelo, um, which I guess is a fruit. So like explanation one, a pomelo is a is the largest citrus fruit. The rind is very thick but soft and easy to peel. The resulting fruit has a light yellow coral pink flesh and can vary from juice to slightly dry and from seductively spicy sweet to tangy and tart. Overly complicated. Lost you. Yeah. Or a pomelo is basically a supersized grapefruit uh, with a very thick and soft rind. Bam. That's easier. Yeah. And so like when you can, okay, I know what a grapefruit is. So they talk about that in, in Hollywood, right? Like, and how there's been some success to, I guess, the problem in Hollywood. If let's say Molly writes a script and it's so near and dear to your heart, right? But like, as soon as you sell that sucker, it's going to go through a lot of different egos. The director, the producer, the actors themselves all want to interpret it in a different way. So by the time it's, it's finally on the silver screen, it's this bastardized, butchered, totally different probably than what you had in your your head. And so what to keep some things a little more on track and also like kind of borrowing from schemas are these high concept pitches such as, you know, when I talk about these different movies that you've seen, like the movie Speed, the high concept pitch was it's Die Hard on a bus or (laughs) 13 going on 30. It's big for girls. Right. Alien Jaws on a spaceship. Right. Quickly associate. Right. And you're like, okay, I get it. That's cool. I think that it totally relates to some startup and founder culture too. I remember I worked for meal sharing, uh, which was a, exactly what it sounds. It was a sharing, it was a meal sharing platform when you people travel and 
he literally was branding himself as the Airbnb of food, right? So <laughs> it gives you some point of reference while also packaging it up in a really concise way. So it's kind of, you know, imitation is the form of flattery. So if you can take someone's idea and kind of run with it yeah. to repackage your own, then I think that's worth it, you know? And Molly, it's got to be like accurate and accessible. I think mm-hmm. it, um, the limited experience I've had, I guess, talking to VCs uh, and investors and founders is they're always searching for that perfect analogy, but they're really nervous about presenting the wrong one to say like, we're the Google for pencils. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, and, but like if Google has so many different connotations or me, you know, like if that could be really interpreted so many different sure. ways, you gotta be, uh, it's you gotta really be right. gotta do your work. Um, yeah. Like Disney, what do they call their employees? Like oh, cast yeah. members? They call this an extended metaphor, right? Okay. Where Disney calls their employees cast members and they train, um, I think it was the trash, uh, like kind of the janitorial staff the most on how to interact with staff or not staff patrons, because those will be the people just out and about and probably be the most, the people that have the most interaction with patrons to direct them to the right thing. So still including them in that magic, magical yeah. language and like being friendly and the overly animated kind of ideas they call, subway calls their employees sandwich oh, artists which you know <laughs> is up for debate how artistic a subway yeah. sub is but that's hilarious no yeah. you're right yeah like disney okay it's all about imagination and that experience and so like if you find the right analogy or you find the right core simple message Disney calls their employees cast members. They don't interview, they audition. The customers are considered guests. The whole a job thing. is a performance. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world is a stage. Yeah, yeah. We might roll our eyes at it, right? But it's like, if you do it right, it, it really could it trickle sticks. down to so many different levels and permeate an entire culture to, mm-hmm. to be going in, in that one unified direction. Right. So all to say, like, this crap's really important. And that's the whole reason we broke this up into like two-part series because helping to define your core message is probably an incredibly hard thing to do to come up with the next proverb that is going to change people's behaviors. So just reading through chapter one of Made to Stick is probably a, a worthy place to start because it's going to get your, your mind just spinning with, with a lot yeah. of different great examples. Absolutely. It's that step one that they say, finding the core and then the first part of their checklist, which is simplicity. And after that, it's translating that core into everything else. So the step, this first step is the hardest, but also the most worth it. They say at the end of the chapter, you know, finding the core and expressing it in the form of a compact idea can be enduringly powerful. So this is hard, but if you put in the work, you know, you could be the Airbnb of food. You could be, you could, you get to just like put those yeah. things in motion. Yeah. Nike's just do it. That's core and compact and you know what it is. That's pretty universal. Yeah. Uh, between now and our next, when we finish up the made to stick uh, part two, I want to do some more research on some that I think are, have, you know, made an impact on me out there. They're like real marketing examples out in the world. Yeah. That you remember. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you, any come to your mind other than Nike? Yeah. I was thinking about that. I, um, was just thinking of through different like brands and stuff and Nike's just do it as far as a message made a lot of sense beyond just a logo, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then at the time I was also eating goldfish. So I thought of the snack that smiles back, which is both their jingle and maybe their simple and core idea. You know, it's a cute little snack that's smiling at you, right? <laughs> is that the core a commander's intent or is that a jingle? I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a bit of overlap there, but it kind of gives this like, you know, idea and flavor of what that 
brand yeah. and message is trying to do. <laughs> yeah, let's come up with a list, the I think. The one uh, that makes me laugh was from my alma mater, DePaul University, Green Castle in the house. Um, was uh, The tagline when we were going there, was called, it was like uncommon success, which was <laughs> funny to us. When we're, you know, I'm like scanning lift tickets, you know, right after yeah, graduating. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it became sort of like a sarcastic thing to a lot of us <laughs> when we Mike, were uh, doing different, yeah. not necessarily universally defined as successful things <laughs> right away. It's pretty funny. Mikey's talking about his small liberal arts college to the ski bum pipeline. Yeah, <laughs> <there>. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. That's that's funny. I have to go look up what my college was because so I can make fun of it as well. They're always changing them. <laughs> Mikey went to DePaul and I went to DePaul. So it's a fun. Yeah, it's not confusing. It's, it's not confusing. Yeah. Very different. But I think between now and the next, next uh, cast for part two, let's think about what messages, yeah. what core messages, core and concise messages or proverbs have resonated with you yeah. and why. And you, dear readers, dear listeners, tell us as well. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can always find um, us at Presentation Thinking on Instagram. Yeah, that's right. DM me. And next week we're going to talk about, so we've covered simplicity, which is principle one, then principle two, unexpectedness, then concreteness, credibility, emotions, and stories. These are all things Holy cow, so relevant in our space. Uh, yeah. Molly, well, I know we're, we're not going to go deep on the Spice Cab because we want to jump in straight into this if you're listening to the two-part series. But we do need to know, what do you think would be Chip and Dan's uh, walkout music? Yeah, there, we were talking about this and I, I looked up a photo of them and they are a couple of nerds, absolute, <laughs> absolute nerds. Uh, I think Chip needs some updated glasses, but um, we, so I, my first thought was like, I don't know, do these guys even listen to music? But then we figured they might be some 80s Kenny Loggins kind of pop, uh, kind of synth vibe going on there. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go with Top Gun. Dang, 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 dang. Yeah, and yeah. um, yeah. I mean, that'll always get you hyped up. And they're rebooting it soon. Um, Are they? Is, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, is Tom Cruise uh, part of it? So there's that. I think Tom Cruise is in it. Um, I know dang. John Hamm is gonna be in it. Oh my god! I know. That's wild. You heard um, it here first. People. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's we'll we'll think on that too though, because maybe we'll think of some new walk up music for them by the end of um the next yeah. few chapters. So we'll see. Yeah. They do have a East Coast, West Coast thing. I think, right, Dan, is it maybe out east? Um mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, a little pock and biggie kind of thing. We'll yeah, figure this could out. Be a, yeah, we'll figure that out. Stay tuned for the next installment for the presentation thinking book club. Made to stick, part two, coming up. Goodbye, everybody. Talk to you soon. <laughs>